Okay. Now, let's review a few of the issues that come up in this chapter. We mentioned in verse 2 that Judah married uh, Canaanitess. And this should have been clear to him that that was a wrong thing to do. It was a sin to do so. In Genesis chapter 24, Abraham knew so. That's why he sent his servant to go back to the relatives in a faraway land to find a wife for Isaac. In Genesis chapter 24, Abraham did so for Isaac. And then in chapter 26, 26, 34 to 35, we find that Esau did wrong by marrying the local Canaanites. And it says in verse 35, 26, 35, they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. They brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. And then even in Jacob's case, the father of Judah, in Jacob's case, 28 verse 1, So Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Do not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And even in verse 6, Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take to himself a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he charged him, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. So Esau <coughs> saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac. They all knew so. They all knew. And certainly Judah would have known, but Judah did not obey. The same is true in 1 Corinthians. Even the New Testament teaches us not to marry pagans, not to marry unbelievers. 1 Corinthians 7, 39. 1 Corinthians 7, 39. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Only in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 9, 5. 1 Corinthians 9, 5. Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Take along a believing wife. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 18. Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, and what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. 2 Corinthians six, fourteen to 18 Verse 7, we saw that God struck air prematurely before his time or before the usual time that people live because of his sin. This happens not only here, but it also 
happened in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis 13.13 and 18.20, it describes the men of Sodom being wicked and sinners, wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. In 18.20, it says, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. Then what happened to them? They died instantly. One morning, everything was calm and peaceful, just like a usual morning. And then, suddenly, fire and brimstone fell down from heaven and rained on them. And they died instantly, suddenly, for their sin. Judah would have known about that. No doubt he would have known about that. So that God sometimes, not always, sometimes instantly punishes individuals for their sin, the sin they commit at that time. He could do it to all of us at any point. But sometimes sin becomes so grave, so grievous, so heinous to him, he does it instantly. That's the way air was. It might be that way with us as well. Luke 13, Luke 13, 1 to 5. Luke 13, 1 to 5. Now, on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffer this fate? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish perish. These people did not perish in their uh, predicaments or their circumstances, their tragedies, because they were worse sinners than others. But he says, if you don't repent, that same thing might happen to you. Meaning, it might happen because of your sin. It did not happen to them because of their sin, but it might happen to you because of your sin, unless you repent. Remember Acts chapter 5, 1 to 11, Ananias and Sapphira each committed one sin, the sin of lying, and then they died instantly, immediately. Acts chapter 12, 20 to 23, Herod sinned in this occasion, and he died immediately. Acts 12, 20, now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, They were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. And on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. And the people kept crying out, The voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. Instant death for taking the glory to himself, the glory that should only be given to God. 
And one more, Acts 13, 4 to 12. Acts 4, uh, 13, 4 to 12. In this case, Elymas the magician is opposing the preaching of the gospel. He's opposing it. And then we pick it up at verse 9. Verse 9. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze upon him and said, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. This may also happen to us. Premature death. It says in Psalm 55, Psalm 55, 23, But you, O God, will bring them down to the pit of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. Next, we saw in verses 8 to 10 what Onan did. He spilled his seed and he refused to help his brother, to love his brother, his neighbor as himself in raising up offspring for him. Who does this but one who despises Genuine love towards another and one who despises the work of God in his life to bring about children. But we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't have that kind of thinking in our minds because the first blessing God gave to Adam and Eve and to all of us was in Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That was the first blessing before sin entered into the world. The same blessing is repeated in Genesis 9, verses 1 and 7, or even the whole context, 9, 1 to 7. Genesis 9, 1 to 7, after the flood, God said the same to Adam and Eve. But this is not merely or exclusively an Old Testament truth. It's also a New Testament truth that it's good to bear children, to beget and bear children, and it's good to have children. We should not despise it for the sake of losing money, losing inheritance, losing our conveniences, which was in Onan's mind. Because if he had a son, then the son would inherit what Onan wanted to inherit. Because if Onan is the survivor of his oldest brother, then whatever his oldest brother would have received as an inheritance, Onan receives. A double portion. A double portion. Extra. Or at least between him and Shelah. But that's what he was looking at. He didn't want to help his brother. We ha- can't have that mindset. 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy 2, 9-15. to 
What is the proper mindset? 1 Timothy 2, 9. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as befits women making a claim to godliness. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being quite deceived fell into transgression. But women shall be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctification with self-restraint. Women are not to flaunt their beauty and they are not to usurp authority. Right? But what should they do? 15. Bear children, continue in faith, love, and sanctification with self-restraint. That should be their preoccupation. Chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. 1 to 5. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Men who forbid marriage follow deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. They fall away from the faith. They are hypocritical liars. And they are seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Not good. Not good. But what should happen in marriage? Chapter 5. Widows. Young widows. The instruction for them not to practice sin. We pick it up at verse 14. The context is chapter 5, 1 to 16. We pick it up at verse 14. What should they do? Therefore, I want... Younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. Young widows who refuse to practice this follow Satan. Titus chapter 2. Titus 2, 3 to 5. Titus 2, 3 to 5. Titus was sent to the island of Crete. The island of Crete was notorious, and even their own men knew how notorious their own people were, according to verse 12, Titus 1.12. They say of themselves, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So in that place where there was such depravity, Titus 2 is still expected. Titus 2, verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Onan did not want to do any of this. 
to encourage it in the proper way. We also saw in verse 11 how Judah had a bias toward his own sons and against Tamar, his daughter-in-law. He had a bias. He assumed wrongfully that she was the problem when the real problem was his sons, Er and Onan. The text says, the Holy Spirit says through Moses that they were evil in the sight of the Lord, not Tamar. They were evil, not her. But Judah refused to look at it that way. Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13 teaches us not to be like this. It teaches us to be objective, even with our own family, even with our own wife. Deuteronomy 13. The whole chapter is relevant. We'll read verses 1 to 5, and we'll get the gist Actually, 1 to 5 and even up to verse 6. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true, concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear Him, and you shall keep His commandments, listen to His voice, serve Him, and cling to Him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death, because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. If your brother, your mother's son, or your son, or daughter, or the wife you cherish, literally the wife of your bosom, or your friend who is as your own soul, entice you secretly saying, let us go and serve other gods whom neither you nor your fathers have known of the gods of the peoples who are around you, near you or far from you. From one end of the earth to the other end, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, and your eye shall not pity him, nor shall you spare or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. So you shall stone him to death, because he has sought to seduce you from the Lord your God, who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Then all Israel will hear and be afraid and will never again do such a wicked thing among you. Even with near relations who seduce us to sin against God, we must resist them. Matthew 10, Matthew 10, 34 to 39. Matthew 10, 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. 
He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. Fairness, objectivity, that's what we need in all relationships. In 38.15, we saw that Judah saw. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, for she had covered her face. His lust was so strong, remember, he couldn't even see her beauty. He couldn't see her at all, yet he wanted her. That's how strong it was. The Bible teaches us that though we see and nobody else sees, remember, it was just Judah and Tamar. The men of the place didn't know it was happening. They weren't witnesses to it. Only those two knew about it. Yet, they were discovered. So a couple of truths that we learn from this passage. One, Judah shows no self-control, whereas Joseph, in the next chapter, chapter 39, does show self-control. With the woman who is chasing him. In this case, it's Judah wanting the woman... She doesn't really want him, not in a lustful way, but in chapter 39, the woman in a lustful way wants Joseph. In this case, Judah in a lustful way wants the woman. Yet he doesn't resist. Proverbs 5, 7, and 9 warn us, warn us in chapters 5, 7, and 9, warn us to avoid it when lust is aroused because of our eyes. To avoid it, reject it, walk away from it, go along the path, keep on walking, and don't stop. It teaches us things like that. Proverbs 5, 7, and 9. Christ also taught something like this in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 27 to 30. Matthew 5, 27 to 30. This is our Lord Christ teaching us. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right eye makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus is teaching us that lust and adultery start inside, in the eyes, in the heart, in the mind, in our desires. It starts inside, and then eventually, in in some cases, it manifests itself in committing the physical act of adultery. But he teaches us here that the internal action or the internal thought is sin also. And it's so evil that he uses hyperbole or he uses exaggeration to teach us that we should take big steps. We should take drastic measures. 
perhaps drastic in our own estimation and certainly in the estimation of the world. If this is happening, then avoid the situation. Avoid the person. Do something to alleviate the circumstance, to alleviate the temptation. Do something. Get away from it. Say something about it. Avoid it. That's the point Jesus is making. Even if it is drastic. Of course, he doesn't mean pluck out your eye and cut off your hand. Because then your left hand would do it, your left eye would do it, and you would still continue. It's still not going to resolve the situation because the problem is internal in terms of our desires, sinful desires. That's where the real problem is. So, ask God for strength and seek steps to overcome the fulfillment of the internal sinful desires. Judah did not do it. But we cannot think that we are better than Judah. We aren't better than Judah. Judah is like each of us in many ways. Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision. Don't provide the opportunity for your flesh. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has to overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. What was Judah's way of escape? Just keep your head straight and keep walking, right? He could have done that, but he didn't. He kept his head turned, and then he stopped and had a conversation with her and walked to some secret place with her, right? So he could have avoided it, but he didn't. We might do just like he did. That's why he says, if you think you stand, you better take heed, lest you fall. The other matter Judah didn't consider, though he was in a place where only he and she were there, God observes. God knows, and God will in time, bring it out. Didn't God say to Cain in Genesis 4.10, the blood of your brother is crying to me from the ground. The blood of your brother is crying to me from the ground. God knows, God hears, God sees. Everything is plain to him. God doesn't discover anything. In Genesis 44, 16, 44, 16, when they are perplexed and in a dilemma, not knowing that Joseph is Joseph, notice what Judah says in 44, 16, 44, 16. So Judah said, what can we speak to my, what can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? And how can we justify ourselves? God has found out 
the iniquity of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup has been found. He says, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Numbers 32, 23. 32, 23. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Galatians 6, 7. In verse 23, Judah was concerned to become a laughingstock. He was concerned about what man thinks, not what God thinks. What God thinks was not on his mind. He didn't care because that did not motivate him to avoid sin. But he didn't want people to laugh at him. But what's worse? If people laugh at us or if God laughs at us? If God does. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. The one who refuses God. In time, God will say this. Proverbs 1, 26 to 27. I will even laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes on like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come on you. God will laugh and God will mock. It's more important that we avoid the mockery of God than the mockery of men. And why is it that we are more concerned about the mockery of men? Because we trust in them instead of God. Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17, 5 and 6. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. There's a curse on us if we trust in man, if we are concerned about what man thinks rather than God. And even Christ. Christ warned us of the same. Matthew 10, Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear God because God can destroy soul and body in hell. Don't fear man. 32, 10, 32. Christ continues. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. We should persevere in trust 
in uh, trusting God, not trusting men. Right. Have faith in God and don't shrink back at His coming. 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. It's better to have the favor of God than the favor of men. And then we saw in 27 to 30, verses 27 to 30, this connection between Judah and Perez. Let's follow this connection a bit more because this reveals to us the knowledge that these saints of the Old Testament had about the coming Christ. It was not merely that they were looking at certain children in a, in a biased way. It wasn't like that. It was that they were looking in reference to the coming of Christ. For example, Genesis 46, 12. Genesis 46, 12. And the sons of Judah, Er and Onan and Shelah and Perez and Zerah, but Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. Hezron and Hamul, the sons of Perez. These are of interest here in Genesis 46. We pick it up in the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. From which tribe was Boaz when Ruth eventually married Boaz? From the tribe of Judah. He was of that line. And Ruth, she wanted to marry in that tribe and in the family of Naomi and Elimelech. She wanted to remain in that family. Well, in the time of Ruth, which is about 400 years after Moses. Moses is about 400 years after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then another 400 years until the time of Boaz and Ruth. When Ruth marries Boaz, we see this in chapter 4, verse 11. Those who were in the courtroom, those who were the witnesses to this marriage, 4.11 And all the people who were in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the, the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. And may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which the Lord shall give you by this young woman. Why is it that they have a concern for Judah? Why is it that they have a concern for Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah? Why? Why are they thinking about Perez? Then 13, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife and went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. 
And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the neighbor women gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. To Naomi. Yeah. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now a lengthier genealogy. 18. Now these are the generations of Perez. Wait a minute. Why did it start with Perez and not Judah? Who knows what at this time? It starts with Perez. Perez, and to Perez was born Hezron, which we saw in Genesis 46, 12. And to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram Aminadab, and to Aminadab was born Nashon, and to Nashon Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse, David. David. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew Chapter 1, we'll read 1 to 6. Matthew 1, 1 to 6. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. To Abraham was born Isaac, and to Isaac Jacob, and to Jacob Judah and his brothers. And to Judah were born Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And to Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron Ram. And to Ram was born Aminadab, and to Aminadab Nashon, and to Nashon Salmon. And to Salmon was born Boaz by Rahab, and to Boaz was born Obed by Ruth, and to Obed Jesse, and to Jesse was born David the king. And to David was born Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Notice this. We have Judah, Perez, and Tamar mentioned. We also, later in 5, have Boaz, Ruth, and Obed by Ruth. And also in 6, the implicit name is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. So, these women are not insignificant, nor are these men insignificant in this genealogy. There's a reason for it. The reason is, the purpose is, that God took this evil and made good come out of it. Yes, He takes good and makes more good come out of it, but He also takes evil and makes good come out of it. This should not surprise us. Genesis 45, 5. Genesis 45, 5. Joseph, righteous Joseph, understood this. Genesis 45, 5. When he is identified, when he has this conversation with his brothers, Genesis 45, 5, Joseph says, And now, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. You sold me here. That's the evil. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 7. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth. Verse 8. Now therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Verse 9. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph. 
God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Who's in charge? God is. God's in charge. And then chapter 50, verse 20. Genesis 50, verse 20. And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. They did evil and are guilty for that evil, but God, in His miraculous way, brings good out of evil. This He did at the cross. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. 27 to 28. Acts chapter 4, 27 to 28. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Who are the evildoers who are guilty of their sins? All mentioned in verse 27. But they did whatever God's hand and God's purpose predestined to occur. Romans 5. Romans 5, 12 to 21 compares and contrasts Adam and Christ. Adam's sin to Christ's obedience. And we see in verse 16 what God did. 5.16 And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. Because of one transgression, God condemned Adam and all of his seed. Correct? Because of one transgression. But after many transgressions or from many transgressions, what did God produce? Justification. Through many or from many transgressions, that resulted in justification. God took the many sins of his people and brought justification out of them. Justification by faith in Christ. God is the one who does this. So whatever happens, we should not worry, we should not fear. God will use evil for his purposes. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.